I'm Josie Mitchell, and this is the Granta Magazine podcast. We have a new series out, speaking to authors about their novels, poetry, memoir, and short story collections, and also about life under lockdown. This was recorded remotely, so apologies for the shifts in sound quality. It has been a strange year, and I'm very grateful to all the authors who made the time to talk. In this episode, I'm talking to Sophie McIntosh, whose new novel, Blue Ticket, explores the primal qualities of motherhood in a world where society selects only certain women to have kids. I felt no great fidelity to the concept of free will. At 14, I had been awaiting the future for months. I sat for hours on the yellow tiles of my father's bathroom with my knees drawn up to my chest, as if I could compel my body onwards with the force of my thoughts. So... Yeah, Sophie, hi. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's it's really exciting to have you uh, on the podcast to talk about your new novel. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so where are you based at the moment? Uh, so I'm in Walthamstow. Um, yeah, I'm working from my spare room, which I've kind of converted into a little office. Uh, yeah, it's just quite cosy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's interesting it's been really interesting hearing about how people have been adapting in the places that they have unexpectedly had to spend so much time this year I work from home a lot anyway but um yeah having kind of uh, both of us in the house has been uh, different <laughs> trying to kind of figure out like areas where we can both work and not get on top of each other yeah I, I mean yeah I have that with my husband as well it's, it's been a year that ultimately has led to greater intimacy um that wasn't always obvious that it would come out that way um so yeah, I thought what we'd start with is uh, a reading from the book, and then maybe after that we can discuss some of the, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's set in a world similar to ours, but different. We can talk about some of the rules and uh, limitations of, of, of the world to orient ourselves and anyone who's listening, if that works for you. Yep, sounds great. Okay, cool. Whenever you're ready. Drink a lot of milk if you want to speed it up, the knowing girls told us in the bathroom, between classes, as we massaged balm into our chap lips. It hadn't happened to them yet, but they had been able to find things out. Eat fats and oils, they said. We switched all the taps on and then we left for our lessons. At dinner, I took a spoonful of butter and ate it neatly. My father watched me and didn't say anything. I took another, licked the spoon. Be careful in your wanting, was a slogan written on the wall of the clinic. I must have read it 500 times over the course of that one year alone. My legs swinging back and forth on the orange plastic chair of the waiting room. Girls left one by one throughout the tomb. No goodbye parties, no notes. By the time it was my turn, barely anyone remained. It was me and two other girls and the boys my age in the classroom pushing our pencils across paper as we multiplied and subtracted and memorised. I felt no great fidelity to the concept of free will. At 14, I had been awaiting the future for months. I sat for hours on the yellow tiles of my father's bathroom with my knees drawn up to my chest, as if I could compel my body onwards with the force of my thoughts. I couldn't rejoice in anything except that each event brought me nearer to adulthood, the clear and shining horizon of it. It was as if we had to swim through mud to get there, an estuary barrier just reaching the ocean. Get through this, I wrote on the back of my school notebook. Private mantra. Um, so yeah, this, this reading uh, is from quite early on in the book, uh, when we first meet the protagonist, right? 
Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought you could tell me first about the lottery, which Keller is about to participate in. Who yeah. participates in it and, and when? So the lottery is an event that takes place uh, when the girls have their first period in this kind of strange society. They are sent to a lottery station and they take a ticket and they take a white ticket or a blue ticket and it's from like this sort of creepy machine and what colour they take uh, dictates the rest of their life essentially because a blue ticket means they can't have children and a white ticket means they can and kind of the, I guess, the decisions attached to those tickets and the judgments made upon them kind of following them throughout their whole life. Shortly after uh, we learn about the lottery and we learn about uh, what it means to get a blue ticket or a white ticket, we meet Kala um, as an adult in this world. I'm curious what you would say the effect um, that these rules and limitations have had on Kala and, and the women around her. I think there's so many ways that it could have got, gone. And for me, it was kind of like the kind of the expectations of the blue ticket in this in this world. Um, is that they can have a career, they can have like everything else in the world, um, but they just can't have a family or children. And so the way that they generally kind of, um, that kind of manifests for them is uh, quite hedonistic and um, they tend to sort of party a lot and you know, have, quite, have like quite a lot of fun. I, I think I was like leaning into the stereotypes, I guess, what a not maternal person would do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like it's a super expansive world as well. I think like any... I obviously don't, I don't really go in the book into detail about uh, what led to the lottery and all these decisions. I think there is a sense throughout the book. It's not like it's not really a world that is particularly doing very well or particularly affluent. And so, you know, it's not like um, being not having children kind of grants them this amazing freedom. But then the white ticket women are expected to have families and expected to have a more maternal life. Um, so it is kind of you know playing with the stereotypes yeah and I love that it's sort of this uh this I think there is a play with the stereotype of what you're expected to do with that kind of freedom right the mm. uh it's also it's a sort of this kind of like feminist freedom you have the right to you know get super drunk you have the right to sleep with loads of men and women if you want to yeah I think it's about like color as a as a character yeah, I, I kind of I, I thought specifically that would be the way that she took it, and I think I, I can't. I think I was talking to someone else, and they were like, "Oh, what about all the blue ticket women who like kind of uh, do amazing things and like run for president because they've got or you know get into politics or change the world because they don't have children?" And I was like, "Yeah, that, that's it's a complete. It's a kind of a different direction that I could have gone, but I didn't. <laughs> it's quite hard when you have like such a kind of a big concept, and it's, there's a temptation to want to do everything, but I just totally like zone in on." the main character and it's quite a small cast I think yeah so Kala I guess without giving too much away Kala over the course of getting when we first get to know her discovers almost to her surprise that she though she's a blue ticketed woman finds this almost bodily yearning this like primal wordless yearning for a child um, which is a really interesting dilemma. I'm curious what drew you to exploring this particular feeling? Like what about this like excessive female longing for a child fascinated you? I think it was quite personal because I had, well, I'd, I always like this, I'd always been really sure that I didn't want to have a baby. And then kind of, I guess as I got into my late twenties and my thirties and I started 
suddenly just thinking about it so much and seeing my friends having babies and yeah feeling a lot of confusion and also this like weird desire to kind of get pregnant it was really it was really weird <laughs> um, I guess like like and it made me think like you know is it like a societal thing or is it how I now kind of am I of age and I'm you know I've got I'm in a long-term relationship and um, everyone's kind of expecting me to but it did feel like really quite like primal this urge to just grab a baby and like run away with it and so I, I kind of thought maybe there was a way to explore that in a sort of uncanny uncanny way through writing and I think that is quite something quite disconcerting when you have an idea of what your life will be like and the kind of person that you are and then suddenly um you're having feelings and you're not really sure where they're coming from and yeah I I I, I think we often talk about the ways that we that women lose autonomy as a result of perhaps like a controlling society or, 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 or inequality. But I love this, 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 the way that you're looking at this feeling of also losing autonomy to the demands of the body. Why do you think people don't really talk about that one as much? I think maybe there's kind of a sort of shame to it because we are supposed to kind of be masters of our desires, I guess, and in control of ourselves. And it feels yeah, it, it felt it felt a bit kind of just odd to admit that I was having all these feelings, and um, yeah, to to think that the course of my life could be changed just because I would see a baby and suddenly want to burst into tears. And how could that? You know, I kind of always felt a little bit like I took quite a lot of pride, and I was not going to have a child, and it was you know I was going to do good for the environment, and I was going to be childless, and it'd be fine. And then suddenly, just realizing I really wanted to have a baby, and I think that kind of idea of being a stranger to yourself is something that, you know, not kind of everyone can get to kind of, you know, identify with a little bit. And I think I, I feel very skeptical about the buy-in as well. Just like, Oh, like one day it'll hit you this instinct and you'll get like baby crazy. And I still kind of do feel skeptical. And I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> um, you know, maybe there is something in it. Maybe I was just thinking about it so much. I feel like there have been a few books that have really, uh, explore like taken that feeling of broodiness and done some really fascinating things with it I think Sheila Hetty did a book um motherhood uh, mm. a few years back that was about this ambivalence of motherhood the, the feeling the idea of what it means to our society if you feel ambivalent about being a mother yeah um, I really love I really love motherhood and I think um that was when I was reading kind of around the round the time of writing Blue Ticket and it was really useful because well she was writing about motherhood as someone who doesn't have a baby and and kind of working out those decisions so it kind of gave me the feeling of permission I guess because there was you know there's a part of me that's like why am I writing about childbirth and material instinct when I actually don't have a child <laughs> um like somehow it's kind of not allowed but then to kind of think about it from that perspective of being I guess like pregnancy adjacent like just a little bit outside like someone who it might happen to and who's making those decisions but not completely in it's it's like I think still a valid perspective yeah yeah yeah, absolutely I'm really struck by what you say about also the sense of permission and being allowed to write about motherhood as somebody who hasn't I guess isn't yet um the mother of a child um because I was curious about that about the uh, what it was like as a writer to you know write about the experience of pregnancy write about about that um without having gone through it yourself when so many people obviously have you know yeah I think 
I was talking to my sister-in-law and she had like a really, really traumatic labor and it went on for like 40 hours and just hearing about all the injuries and stuff and that, you know, kind of take place and the amount of pain you're supposed to go through with basically no help. It was quite, and just all the things that happen in pregnancy too, it, it was quite um, an eye opener and I was like oh maybe there is maybe there's something here yeah. and obviously I didn't kind of stick with that body body horror route um, but I did do a lot of research and stuff and I think so writing the kind of more visceral things like the childbirth and the experience of pregnancy was kind of I guess coming from a place of again that kind of outside the perspective of maybe like squeamishness <laughs> and kind of like fascination I guess yeah it, it was strange it would actually be interesting if I do get pregnant and I'd be like, does it, is it line up with how I imagine? I thought that. I thought how, <laughs> how interesting would it be to read over your pre-pregnancy fictionalization of an experience and then to go through it like for real. I'd be like reading Blue Ticket back and shaking my fist. And like, <laughs> you had no idea. <laughs> One thing I loved that you included in the acknowledgements is you, you said like, thank you to everyone who talked to me honestly about motherhood and babies in the last few years. Um, it made me, I'm curious what those conversations were like. Were there surprises when you had conversations with friends and family about, about motherhood? Yeah, there was the physical stuff, but I think, I think seeing firsthand how motherhood changed my friends, I, I kind of, I, it seems weird to be like how it changed you. And obviously it would change you. It's a massive event. It's not like they became different people, but I think just the sheer exhaustion and the change in the routine. And I think in my head, I kind of imagine, okay, you have, well, I did imagine you have a baby and then you basically carry on. Like you take the baby around with you in the little pram, you're sling and like the baby sleeps a lot and it's kind of generally fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then to, to see things like, yeah, like my sister-in-law after a really long traumatic labor, just in like, I've never seen someone so tired. She was just completely out of it. Like we were hanging out with my lovely nephew who was like two weeks old. And I was kind of like, I've never seen you like this. This is really strange. And um, a good friend had a baby too about a year ago and they live really close to us. So kind of seeing seeing the baby from being a newborn to growing up and I guess like experiencing that kind of, that transition in age and seeing how how different things are and how quickly they grow. And so it's, it's kind of just gave me like a lot of respect for the process physically and emotionally. Absolutely. I love the way uh, that you play with this idea of a bad mother in society, uh, particularly with the taboo of drinking and smoking. What, what do you, what interests you about this idea of the bad mother, other than the fear that you would be a bad mother yourself, or, you know, <laughs> like we all would? Yeah, <laughs> I think, I don't know, it's so, it just feels like there's a lot of judgment on it still. And, um, in the book, Kala, who get, does manage to get pregnant, sort of continues to drink quite a bit and have a few cigarettes along the along the pregnancy which is just yeah. it is actually just such a huge taboo in our society I, I was reading it and thinking oh <laughs> yeah and she's kind of just like she's apart from those things as well like she's just you know she's kind of just a little bit of a mess and she's not very like she's very warm I found it interesting kind of looking at early reader reviews and, uh, you know, I think a lot of, I was surprised by that, well, kind of surprised and not surprised by people being like, oh, I had a really horrible reaction to Kala because I didn't understand why she wanted a baby when she was so unsuited to have a baby and she like, you know, she did like bad things to her body. And I was like, we still have those ideas kind of ingrained in us about, you know, this idea of you get pregnant and you suddenly are perfect or you have to be perfect when it's kind of a process that, 
you know, you just kind of do. There's no training for pregnancy. There's no kind of certificate you can pass. If you want to be a mother, you can just literally be a mum. And that's kind of like, obviously, within that, there's kind of issues of fertility and things. But like, generally speaking. I think um, the other thing that I really love about Kala's pregnancy is because she has been raised as a educated in the stream of blue ticketed women, she hasn't been taught about pregnancy. So for her, it's this sort of mystery experience. She knows that she wants a baby, but she doesn't know anything about what pregnancy will entail, which must've been really fun to explore conceptually. A pregnant woman who doesn't really know what being pregnant's about. Especially because much of it is weird. Like, oh my God, I have to like give birth to the placenta. What is the placenta? Oh, it's just like this massive lump of like flesh that's going to come out of you. (laughs) Just things like that was kind of... It's like imagine if an alien came to Earth and was like, "So how do you guys reproduce?" And you're like, obviously, like you grow a baby inside you for nine months, and the baby like sucks out all your vitamins, <laughs> and like your hair falls out, <laughs> and you like maybe you'll throw up for like three months. <laughs> do you remember being taught about pregnancy and babies at school? I mean, we had like sex education, but it was quite basic. And I think every time I tried to talk about it to my mum, she would literally just be like, it really hurts, but you forget it immediately um, when the baby's in your arms. And she kind of just, that was the line she always gave me anytime I was like, but I mean, does it like really, really hurt? And mum was like, you you do forget it when the baby's in your arms. Yeah, I think that I can remember very little except for a really vivid um like much it must have been basically a a VHS video of a woman pushing a baby out that they showed to all of the girls in my primary school at the age of 10 oh no no it was was one of those (laughs) things where they you know the teacher would say very solemnly could all the boys please now leave the classroom and they'd all go out knowing that something absolutely disgusting and horrible was going (laughs) to happen to do with us being girls and it was uh, so shocking and I think probably that was the point at which I thought I'm never having a child. <laughs> <laughs> I went down like quite a YouTube um, rabbit hole sometimes during research. And I remember there was, um, I watched like a, a natural cesarean, which is the thing where they kind of, they do a cut in your stomach like a cesarean, but then you kind of give birth through the cut. I don't know. I wouldn't recommend watching that because I kind of watched that and was like, why have I done this? I think I sent it to my, <laughs> my partner and was like, I, I just watched this. He's like, why have, you, why have you sent this to me? Like, no one should see this. I was like, I know, but like, it's in my brain now. <laughs> I always remember as well, like my parents had a um, first aid book at home and I was kind of, I, I'd read it. I don't know why, but there was a whole section that I was kind of fascinated by. And that was like, what to do if you're like delivering a baby. And it had all these pictures as well. If someone goes into birth around me, I'm, I could probably still <laughs> remember because again, all the images are like imprinted on my brain. That is brilliant. I think we probably had a similar book, actually. Um, So one other thing I wanted to ask about is so much of the the suffering in this book is is muted out by men. It 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 probably both in positions of official power, passers by, sexual partners. It's it's it presents quite a. I'm not going to say it presents like a, a grim image of men, but it's it presents a grim image of what power structures, um, unequal power structures between the sexes can create in the way that they interact, right? Yeah. Um, one of the answers that you flirt with is this, which I love, is this idea of le- lesbian separatism, uh, which has been, you know, the idea of many people like, through the years. What is, what is compelling about that utopia? 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange because I guess I didn't really think uh, Blue Ticket World is kind of necessarily it is like a kind of a patriarchal world but I didn't really think of it as like a kind of patriarchal dystopia in like the same way that you know the Handmaid's Tale is explicitly mm. that kind of thing but the men have like kind of power but I think there's a lot of the men do have power but the, there's a lot of self-policing going on between the women as well so it's almost like the kind of the, the men are like almost incidental even though they do have more of the power and some of the doctors are women as well but yeah I think this idea of um that's one of my favorite parts of the kind of the when the, the, there is that possibility of this lovely community in the woods or whatever where like babies can be raised and they fall in love with each other um I think I just wanted there's so much in the book that's incredibly bleak and I wanted there to be the possibility of joy for color I think and it just kind of made it made sense to me this idea of a kind of happiness that was different to the happiness that she thought she wanted and it kind of looked a little bit like the happiness she thought she was getting or she, she, the one she she you know she wanted the the white ticket life in the nice house and the and the family um with her man in the city but maybe there could be a kind of alternative that would give more to her that would still involve her having her baby and being loved in what way would you say that the book is also sort of examining these these myths that we have about motherhood so the idea that yeah like the mother is a perfect figure or needs to be a perfect figure versus uh, yeah, I, I liked playing with the idea of, I guess, the, su- the survival aspect that these kind of like these pregnant bear grills <laughs> who are like amazing at um, surviving in the wild and who are kind of strengthened by their pregnancies as opposed to made more vulnerable. I guess the kind of the physical effects of the pregnancy being offset by this like almost rageful desire to keep the baby safe. I think that's like very, that kind of, that instinct must be very powerful as it must be because I'm like I don't know personally <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know I, I guess instead of thinking of the the pregnant woman as as a kind of uh, very placid docile creature who just kind of wants to grow the baby in peace like wrapped in a blanket to what if it was more bloodthirsty almost what if there was a kind of yeah. amount of like fight and rage and determination to really do anything I love that way that also you explore the animal, this animal uh, feeling in in women and also in, in pregnancy. Um, yeah, that kind of idea, I guess, of pregnancy is almost like weirdly dehumanising. I get all these things about like animalistic and, and, you know, feelings. And I'm still always really kind of aware of the fact that, you know, like maybe I'm actually, you know, this is my ideas I'm projecting onto it that I don't have... <laughs> So it's kind of it's kind of like maybe I'm super over romanticizing it, and maybe actually that is kind of one of the values of being outside it because I couldn't have written the book without being in a position where I kind of could romanticize it, if that makes sense. Maybe if I'd just gone through it, I'd be like, oh, whatever. I was pregnant, and it was like super uneventful, and I actually didn't feel that much. And um, maybe there are like you know pregnant women who'll read this, or women who've got children, and they'll think only a person who doesn't have children could have, you know seen pregnancy in such a kind of romantic way (laughs) but in a way that's what's that's actually a really interesting way of thinking about it because you're sort of dealing in in the in you're dealing with the stories of our society about pregnancy and childbirth right it's a it's a book that takes those as your source material rather than lived experience yeah Um, and that kind of fascination that fascination with it as something that I haven't done yet that want to do like looking at looking kind of through a window being like I want to be there but I'm not and so I can kind of imagine it in my own way 
I guess the final question would be about uh, thinking about the book in terms of feminism. I, I was curious whether it felt like you were addressing questions that other other writers hadn't really addressed yet or that felt different to you in your generation. I know you've been compared to uh, sort of other feminist dystopian writers like Shelley Jackson or Margaret Atwood. I can definitely see, yeah, I can see kind of uh, common ground, I think, because mine focus is so much more on maybe the individual. Not that that, that sounds weird because obviously all the books are as well. I think um, I kind of go into these ideas without kind of thinking of them as like, here's how to reflect a society reflect a world I kind of it's almost like interior I kind of always see blue ticket is like a not coming of age maybe but she's on a road trip and she's grappling with her feelings and almost like the weirdness of the world that it's happening in is kind of just there to enable her own growth if that makes sense so it's almost like it's been turned inside out a tiny bit compared to something like the handmaid's tale um I'm just interested in women <laughs> more, than, more than kind of um, other kinds of stories, I guess. I'm interested in in women and our desires and um, our lives. You've been listening to the Granter Magazine podcast. The music was taken from the album First Flights by Trilog. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people to find us. And a reminder that this has been recorded under lockdown conditions. So please be kind if you can.